Well, good morning. My name is Doug. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if this is your first time here, I'm not Jim. Jim is our normal teaching pastor. So um, not only do you get a different pastor this morning, uh, didn't Hannah and Jack do a wonderful time leading us in worship this morning? Thank you. We're starting a new series today. Uh, it's a three-part series. Um, and the title is Go ready, set. And the title for this morning's message is Follow. Now, go ready, set sounds backwards, doesn't it? It sounds like it's out of order. And, and perhaps you're even thinking this morning, you know, they let this Freeman guy teach three or four times a year and he can't even get the order correct in the title of the sermon series. And so uh, maybe I misunderstood it, but, and, and speaking of misunderstandings, let me open with this. A man went to a drugstore and asked the pharmacist if he could give him something for the hiccups. The pharmacist promptly reached across the counter and slapped the man's face. The man said, what in the world did you do that for? The pharmacist said, see, you don't have the hiccups anymore. And the man said, no, but my wife in the car still does. <laughs> So that's certainly a misunderstanding. And, and how about the, the fellow that, that went to see a lawyer that he knew, and, and he needed some legal advice, so he said, how much would it cost me to ask you three questions? And the lawyer said, $1,000. The man asked, isn't that kind of high? The lawyer said, it sure is. What's your third question? <laughs> so we see misunderstandings everywhere in the world. And uh, perhaps the focus for this morning will help set you straight in what we're gonna be talking about today. So if you could bring the focus up that next slide. So the focus is, while we wanna say, let me get ready first, then get set, then go, Jesus says, follow me. I think we all have a tendency to, to misunderstand God's kingdom and God's economy. And, and I think that I know in my own life, I many times, uh, try to figure out who God is and who I am through my self-filter. I look at myself and then go from there when I evaluate who God is and how, and how God works. And, and when I formulate those ideas, it, it's through that filter. And I think really, if we can honestly lay our self-filter aside and really allow God's word to uh, speak to our hearts, we'll see over and over again in Scripture things being turned upside down things appearing to be backwards from the way that we would uh, see them. Uh, we read things in the Bible like the first will be last and the last will be first. Things turned upside down. Jesus was rich, yet for our sake, he became poor. Whoever wants to be great has to be a servant of all. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. When you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll discover a very interesting phenomenon. And this is, to me, this was striking. Would you bring that next statement up? People that were the most unlike Jesus actually liked Jesus. People that were most unlike Jesus actually liked Jesus. And if that one shocks you, here's the next one. Jesus liked the people who were nothing like him. If you honestly examine scripture, you'll see 
that these things are, are very true. And uh, again, uh, perhaps if, we, if that's not the way we think, perhaps we have misunderstood. And yet when we see God's heart uh, revealed to us in Scripture, we, we see uh, scriptures that th- say things like that, that God's desire is that none would perish, but that all should come to repentance. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Words like all and whoever are all inclusive words. Um, they're inclusive for the guy with the PhD in theology that grew up in the church And I'm going to give you a range here, and I'm going to let you draw the line at the bottom of the other end of the spectrum when we consider who God is for, okay? So maybe, maybe, maybe uh, from the guy with with a PhD in theology who grew up in the church to to the addict or to the adulterer or to the homosexual or to the mass murderer or to the guy that cut me off at the light this morning. God could not be for those people. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think that we all have a tendency to draw a line. We we probably all draw that line a little bit different where we think, no, God God couldn't mean that he was for those people. God couldn't like those people. God couldn't have come to rescue those people. Again, if we're honest, I think that we admit that we draw that line. But yet, when we read Jesus' story, we clearly see that he was for all people, that his desire was for all people. That's why very often you hear our church's purpose from wherever you, wherever you are to where God wants you to be. That's all-inclusive. From wherever you are, wherever you've drawn that line, at the bottom that God couldn't be for those people, we're saying no from wherever you are to where God wants you to be. Again, we want to be a church that embraces God's heart for all, Uh, one that proclaims Christ's radical message of relationship, not religion, and a church that reveals God's heart of love and reconciliation towards his creation. That's what we want to be about at Verde Valley Christian Church. So as we begin this series, Go Ready, Set, I believe that the series and this morning's message will help us to see Jesus' really radical revelation of the Father's desire towards all as he extends the invitation to follow him. We're going to be looking at a text this morning in the Gospel of Matthew. If you're interested in following along in a Bible, those chair Bibles in front of you, you can turn to page 680, and we're going to be looking at chapter 9, verses 9 through 13 this morning as we consider follow me. Uh, Let's bring that first slide up. There it is already, okay? I didn't look. I should have looked first. Matthew, the first part of Matthew 9 says this. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, we have to stop there, and I have to give you a, at least probably a two-hour dissertation on what that means. No, I'll actually do it in just a few short minutes, and it won't be a dissertation. It'll be my wild guess, and from what I think Scripture shows us about that. But Matthew, we know very little about Matthew. There's very little background 
in other scripture. This is the first, this is the first mention of Matthew in the Bible when we, see, when we see this text. So we know very little about him. Uh, we don't know about, really about his family or his religious background. We know that he was uh, uh, Jewish, and we know his father's name was Alphaeus. It tells us that in, in Luke and, and Mark, the Gospels of Luke and Mark, where we see the same story recorded. Now, in those two Gospels, he's referred to as Levi. That was his other name, okay? Levi, Matthew, same guy. So, so that's all we know about this guy. So we don't have a lot to, to base on his history. But here's what we do have a lot to base on, is his own description, in his own words, he calls himself a tax collector. And... And that was a bad word in that day. That was a bad word. That was a bad thing to be. So we can learn a, a lot about, uh, about his character. The tax collectors, and he was actually the lowest of low as far as the tax collectors in his position. We know that because he was sitting at the tax collector's booth. There were guys over him that he reported to that were also called tax collectors. But he was sitting at the booth. He was the lowest of lows. These guys were despised by their own culture. The Jews hated them because they worked for the Roman government. So they were traitors. And the way that Matthew made his living was by extorting excess taxes from his fellow countrymen. Okay? That's the way he made a living. Basically, in his position, he had to prepay the taxes to the guys above him. And then he went out and broke legs and twisted arms and made people sell their possessions to collect taxes to enrich himself. So he was despised, uh, hated in his community. The religious elite in that time considered them the lowest of low. Even in the language that we read in, the, in these verses we're going to look at today, later on it says tax collectors and sinners. That's because they were ranked. A tax collector was a step below a sinner. They were the worst kind of sinners. The, the religious elite considered them as an unclean animal, and not only an unclean animal, but the worst unclean animal. They considered them swine, okay? So that tells us a lot about, about Matthew and where he was. They were barred from synagogue. They couldn't participate in any of the, the Jewish social things that were going on because of, because of their position as a tax collector. So we see that Matthew had chosen to forfeit his religious and social heritage to be a tax collector. He had chosen to be a social outcast as far as the Jewish people. And I have no doubt that Matthew knew that he was a bad person. I have no doubt that deep down inside, he knew, and we can, we're going to see that in his response to this calling, he knew that he was a bad person. He knew that he was far away from where God desired him to be. Okay, he knew that. And uh, I think that he was living a life that had rejected anything and everything that he thought would get him closer to God. So with all of that said, with all of that said, knowing Matthew's background, this is the next statement that Jesus says to him. Bring up that next slide. Follow me. Follow me. Jesus knew all those things. He was well aware of where Matthew was at, and yet Matthew, to Matthew he says, follow me. If, you, if you're a note taker, you can pull out your outline and we'll look at point one on your outline, and you can fill in the blank there. This is a wildly open invitation. A wildly open invitation. It's no mistake that uh, when God, when God uh, uh, by his Holy Spirit, gave, gave these scriptures to these men to write down, it, it, I have no doubt that he picked 
this one in particular, because Matthew was on the lowest rung. Matthew was that guy that all of us would have drawn the line and, and say, no, God can't like this guy. God can't be interested in rescuing this guy. And while you have your outlines out, flip it over on the other page where there's some questions. And on number 10, the very last one on that page, add open, because I think it says, it doesn't have the complete thing on there, so it says... Uh, Accept this wildly invitation, so write wildly open invitation on number 10, so that you're, if you go back to look at that question, you'll see what that means. So this invitation that Christ extends to Matthew was very intimate. It was very personal, and, and yet it's an invitation that's extended to all. It's all-inclusive. It's extended to you and to me, uh, to every one of us. Again, it's all-inclusive. And at this point, I, I love to try to put myself without taking huge liberties with God's word, I love to put myself in, in the situation and, and to think through how other guys would react to this. And, and I can imagine Peter, for instance. Can you imagine, I can imagine, what was going through Peter's head when Christ issued this invitation to Matthew? I have no doubt, knowing Peter's personality and the things we read about Peter, that, that he probably looked over at his buddies and said, did he just invite this tax collector to follow him? You got to be kidding me. Peter had probably drawn that line too. No, not a tax collector. That means, Peter's thinking, that means that he's going to be hanging out with us. And hey, Jesus, that ain't going to fly. You know, I mean, I mean we, we have our reputations, you know, and, and we left legitimate businesses to follow you. You cannot be serious to invite this guy. And he said, I think Peter would say something like, you know what, Jesus, let's do this. Why don't you let me and the guys talk to him about all the things that he needs to change in his life before he can hang out with us. And, and, and we have a list of requirements that we can bring to him that will bring him up to our standards so that he can hang out with us, so that he can follow you. And then, and then after all those things, if we take a majority vote, then maybe we can bring him in and maybe we can, at least on a 90-day probationary basis, we can bring him in and he can follow you. I have no doubt that thoughts like that were going through the other disciples' head. But Jesus says to Matthew, it's real simple, Matthew, I'm not putting a list in front of you. I'm not telling you what you have to change or give up. I'm not even telling you at this point that you have to believe did you hear that? I think that's true. I'm not even telling you you have to believe at this time. I'm making it simple, Matthew. Push your chair back, get up, and begin to follow me. Begin to follow me. And so here we see in this, in this simple statement, Jesus turning everything upside down. He's not saying, ready, set, go. He's saying, go, ready, set. It's all backwards. It's all turned around. He just says, follow me. Again, he didn't say, trust me. He didn't say, believe in me. He didn't say, understand me. He didn't say, figure me out, Matthew. He just said, follow me. He doesn't dump the whole load of guilt or a list of acts that Matthew needed to do to qualify him. He just said, follow me. Follow me. I will have to tell you that, that, um, 
as I went back, I had a discussion. Jim and I had a, a, a long discussion about this when we, when we looked at this series, and, he, he, and I was asked to teach this first one. And, and I, it was a little bit of a struggle for me to lay hold of this concept. And, and once I talked it through, you know, the only reason that it was difficult for me to lay hold of the concept was because I was putting it through my filter. I was putting it through the way I thought, and perhaps even the way that I came into relationship with Christ. I mean, although when I thought back through, when I, said, when I said yes, I didn't have a clue who Jesus was. I'd just been told the gospel story. I'd heard that, and I thought, that's too, that's too good to be true. I'm going to go for it. I didn't know who Jesus was. I didn't know anything about Jesus. I never have one remembrance in, my, in the first 29 years of my life before that of even hearing the name Jesus Christ. None. I used the word in vain, but I, I had no concept of God or who he was at that point. So, indeed, this same invitation was given to me, and I stepped into that relationship. So, so I think it's something that, that we need to, we need to, to, to think through and, and to, and to uh, listen to what God's word says about that when he says, just follow me. And again, it's an invitation that's extended over and over. Jesus could have very well, and he would have been 100% correct, he could have very well put Matthew in his place. He could have very well pointed out all of Matthew's sin, all of Matthew's shortcomings, all the things that were wrong in Matthew's life. But Scripture tells us he didn't come to condemn, but to rescue. He didn't come to be right, okay? He came to make a way for us by inviting us to follow him, to walk with him. So the next part of this verse goes on to show us what Matthew's response was. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. So the logical question, at least that comes into my mind, what would motivate a man like Matthew and all the things we just talked about in, in his position socially? What would motivate a man like that to leave a lucrative business? We'll see later in the story. He was rich. He had a lot of bucks. Okay, And so what would motivate him to, to, to follow Jesus, to get up and walk away from everything, walk away from everything that he knew? What would make a man like Matthew be willing to turn his world upside down to follow Jesus? And this is what, this is what I believe probably was going on in Matthew's head. I believe that he saw something that he liked in Jesus. Remember that prior statement that we looked at earlier? That, that people, unlike Jesus, like Jesus. I think Matthew saw something he liked in Jesus. I think one thing that he saw is he saw that Jesus was real. He was, he was real. Because in Matthew's world, it was a world that was filled with deceit and hypocrisy and selfishness and dishonesty. And he saw that Jesus was not like him, that Jesus was real. He also, I think, saw that Jesus was relevant no doubt, there's no doubt, they were from the, Matthew was in Capernaum, which was Jesus' hometown, where, kind of where he grew up, not where he was born, but kind of where he grew up. And I have no doubt that Matthew probably, at least secondhand, heard some of Jesus' statements. And so, uh, and so uh, I think what Matthew knew, as far as Jesus being relevant, was that this guy has what I need. I can relate to this guy. And third, I think that, that he saw that Jesus was revealing you know, have you ever heard the term, someone wears, wears their emotions on their sleeve? Jesus wore his emotions 
on his sleeve, if you will. And Matthew was in a world that was, that was everything was guarded and suspicious, and, and yet we see Jesus coming along and openly demonstrating his love and his concern for those who expressed the need. I had a weird thought this morning as I was going over my notes is that, is that you know the only person in the whole world that's had a perfect personality? It's Jesus. His personality was perfect. It's no wonder people liked him. You know, if you look at your own life, I mean, I certainly have, well, I don't even want to go into my list of personality flaws, but Jesus had none of those. He had a perfect personality because he was in perfect communion with the Father. He was able to live a perfect, sinless life. So no wonder people were drawn to him, okay? So I think those are the reasons that, that, that uh, Matthew was, be able, was able to walk away from his business knowing that this guy was real and that he was relevant and that he was revealing. He knew this guy had something to offer him. And he also knew that Jesus liked him. I mean, why else would have Jesus invited him to follow him? It, scene two takes up, if we look at the next verse in Matthew 9, uh, verse 10. That says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. So this is immediately following this invitation to follow him, and we see Jesus ratcheting up one more step of turning things upside down, where he goes to a, one, one of the translations says a large banquet. So that told, tells us that Matthew had some bucks, okay? So Jesus goes to this, this large banquet, and Matthew invites all of his coworkers, one Translation says uh, that they were uh, disreputable sinners, okay? And so uh, what a move Jesus is making here. I mean, he's, he's basically at a party with a bunch of people who like to party, a bunch of people who, are, who like to sin. They're not, they're not these, this gang wasn't, uh, uh, oh, that was a mistake sin. This was, hey, Let's chase this sin. This was a wild group of people. These were all of the social outcasts, okay? And so uh, Matthew invites these people to sit down and have a dinner and a party with Jesus who had just invited him to follow him. I have no doubt again, and I, I'm taking a few liberties in, in, in some of these things, but I have no doubt that Matthew wanted all of his friends who were in the same shape he was to see this Jesus guy. And to see if this Jesus guy had that same thing to offer to that crowd of people. So here we have the scene. We have Jesus, God in the flesh, the Holy One of Israel, dining with the very outcasts of Jewish society. Again, turning things upside down. Turning things backwards from how most people would think. So we quickly move to scene three in Matthew 9-11. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? These guys are interesting because they're always hanging around the fringes, looking, looking for trouble, uh, hearing but not understanding, seeing but not believing, trying to poke holes in the story, trying to figure out why this Jesus is doing things completely opposite of how they would do things. And these guys, over and over through Scripture, really misunderstand who Jesus is. And that is because, I believe, they were looking at Jesus through their personal, self-righteous filters. 
they're no doubt thinking, Jesus can't possibly be from God if this is the crowd he's choosing to hang out with. If this is the crowd, if that's the guy that he's asked to follow him, he couldn't possibly be from God. He should be like us. He should be like us. We've lived our lives trying to keep the rules. Uh, we've lived our lives uh, working for our own salvation. We're righteous because of our good deeds and all the things we've done, the sacrifices that we've given, our good works, our upright behavior. Why does Jesus like these tax collectors? Why does Jesus like these, these disreputable outcasts? And why do they like him? So they were thinking completely backwards. Um, they, were the, they truly were the ready, set, go crowd. They truly were the ready, set, go crowd. Their standard was that the righteous only associate with righteous and the sinners with the sinners. And by golly, you have to earn your way to heaven by your good works. And so we see Jesus overhears this conversation. These guys weren't even brave enough because they were cowards hanging out on the edge. They weren't even brave enough to ask the question themselves. They're asking Jesus' disciples to address this question. But Jesus overhears uh, the Pharisees asking the question and his disciples, and he answers the question. Go ahead and bring up verses 12 and 13. On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come not to call the righteous but sinners. So I have no doubt that this was, a, this was a, a, a loud enough statement that was made, not that Jesus screamed at him, but I, I believe it, he was proclaiming his mission in this statement. And I have no doubt that all of the disreputable sinners sitting there at the party heard this. And yet, the story, the story doesn't reflect any of those people, any of the, those disreputable sinners jumping up and saying, wait a minute, Jesus, are you calling me sick? Are you saying I need a doctor? Are you saying I'm a sinner? None of those, none of that happened in the story. They didn't jump up and, and argue the point that they were sick and needed, needed healing. And, and why do you suppose that is? What do you suppose that was? Well, I think that it was because Matthew and his friends knew deep down inside that they were spiritually sick, that, that they were broken. And I think in those honest moments, uh, they knew they needed help, and they saw that they could get that help in this guy, Jesus. They saw that. They liked Jesus and what he represented. So that invitation to follow him is extended to those who have exhausted everything in their own means to fix themselves and have even given up to their lifestyle, given into that lifestyle of being far from God. That's who he extends this invitation to. Perhaps in our own minds, we think of people like uh, the person who's held captive in addiction. To that person, he says, follow me. Uh, to the couple with a marriage that's failing, that's filled with dysfunction and pain, he says, follow me. To the parents with a family struggling uh, in debt and despair, he says, follow me. To the businessman whose, whose books are upside down, he says, follow me. To the person who's given up on church, who's chosen to walk away, he says, follow me. To the young adult, possibly, uh, who's stuck in society's snare of drugs and sex, he says, follow me. From wherever you are, 
his invitation is wildly open to follow him. And the only requirement is knowing in your innermost being that you are broken, that you're spiritually sick, and that you need him and what God has to offer you to deliver you from that. The second point on your outline, if you want to fill in that blank, is Jesus' mission is rescue. And we see this in Matthew 9, verse 13. For I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. If you think about rescue, you can't rescue someone who won't admit they're lost. You can't throw a life preserver to someone who isn't admitting they're drowning. The Pharisees in this story uh, were spiritually blind. They had no need of Jesus because they saw themselves righteous because of their righteous sacrifices and because of their religious duties and adherence to the rules, the man-made list of rules and regulations. Jesus says, I'm not interested in self-righteousness. I came to rescue. I came to set people free. My offer is, or my desire is to offer mercy, to offer grace, to offer forgiveness, to show compassion to all who will confess their need. When Matthew got up and pushed his chair back, he had a need. And in the act of standing up and walking away from his, his tax collector's booth, he was expressing his need. Okay, And that indeed is the only requirement. So Jesus' invitation is, is, it is all-inclusive. He isn't telling you, if you're here today and you've never, you've never made that step, he's not telling you, go away and fix yourself. Clean up your life, and then once you're, you've got your stuff together, come back and follow me. He isn't, he, he's saying instead, I know something, is in, something in you is broken. I know that, that you're broken. I know that you're spiritually, you're spiritually sick. And, and won't you take that first step to follow me? And indeed, this isn't just a one-time thing. This isn't just a one-time thing. We're called to follow him every day when we wake up. If, you've, if you made that decision to follow him 60 years ago, today he's still saying, you need to follow me today. You need to walk in my ways today because you still have that old sin nature that you're dragging around with you that rears its ugly head, and you need to follow me today so that I can help you in that. So just like with Matthew, this is a personal invitation, and you can put your name in this sentence. I want you to know, Doug, that you're the one I've come to invite. I came for you. Will you follow me? It's an invitation to relationship. And when you take this step to follow him, you'll begin to see the world differently. You'll begin to see God differently, and you'll begin to see yourself differently. And you will begin to change, not because someone gave you a list of things you need to do. No, you'll begin to change because as you follow him, you will grow more and more in love with him. And the change will come as you express with your life the gratitude for who he is and what he has done for you. That's God's plan to rescue. God has no line to draw. 
there's no one that is beyond his call to follow him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love that is so amazing as we consider it. Father, that you would send Christ that would be clothed in flesh, that would live a perfect life, that would demonstrate who you are through his life and then go to the cross to there take our sins upon himself uh, to pay the penalty that was rightfully ours so that we could be set back in right relationship with you. Father, I thank you that you are a gentleman and that you, you knock on our hearts and issue that, that invitation to follow you. Follow that your, Father, that your desire is to, is to uh, walk with us, to teach us, to heal us, to make us complete in you. Father, help, help us with that today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.